How's the memorizing coming? Just trying to learn these psych terms. What did you come up with for the uh, double picture one? The the face in the vase one? Oh, I liked that one. It was uh, blind spotting. Why blind spotting? Because it's all about how you can look at something and then there can be another thing there that you aren't seeing. So you got a blind spot. But if somebody points out the other picture, do you, doesn't that make it not a blind spot anymore? Mm, no, because you can't go against what your brain wants to see first. Unless you spend the time to retrain your brain, which is hella hard. So you're always going to be instinctually blind to the spot you aren't seeing. Colin? When you look at me now, do you always see the fight first? Night, Valerie. your pick a film podcast i'm tatum and i'm geneva we are two friends who love movies and love sharing them with each other each week we take turns picking a film that is close to our hearts and talk about why it moves us to tears to laughter and everything in between we celebrate the craft of filmmaking as well as the unique and personal ways we find meaning in the movies we watch And we are in the new year, are we not? We are. Mm -hmm. Speaking to you from the new year. Did we already record a new year episode before this? I I think we probably did. Because Green Night. Well, I think our Green Night episode is the first, actually the first episode of the new year. And then what was after Green Night? The one we just recorded. Oh, what's up, Doc? Okay, this is not the new year anymore. (laughs) Do you want to start over? (laughs) All right, everybody. We're back. (laughs) We're back. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Geneva. What's going on? (laughs) (laughs) What is going on? I don't know. Um, I I don't know. I never know. Um, Well, you know, we don't know what's going on, but... We do know what movies we've been watching. <laughs> so can we at you, least do know that. Can you fill us in on what we what you've been watching? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, first of all, actually, before I get to the movies themselves, I wanted to give a quick um, report that I just finished um, reading the book version of Killers of the Flower Moon. <gasps> oh, I didn't know you were reading it. Yes. Mm. Yes. Well, listening to the, the audio book. Okay. But I count that as reading um which i highly recommend it's really interesting but it is it is so fascinating as a work of adaptation i'm Hmm. dying now to go and rewatch the movie and kind of compare the two i think martin scorsese and his co-writer or writers i think he wrote it with someone else and i can't remember their name so Mm -hmm. apologies to them but i think they did a really really brilliant work of adaptation the the book is very much focused on the sort of true crime aspect of it, the mystery of it. It's um, very much focused on these crimes within the context of the birth of the FBI, J. Edgar Hoover coming to power, the incredible detective work and dedication that went into solving, or well, partially solving, because not all of the murders were actually solved. But the the murders that were solved, um, all, all the work that went into uncovering uh, the conspiracy that was at foot. And all of that is really, really fascinating. But of course, that means that the focus of it is on the FBI and on the detectives. The book, the way the book is structured, you don't actually find out until right about the 50% mark who it is that is behind the crimes. 
Whereas in the movie, they completely change the perspective so that all of the events are laid out in chronological order. And you know from the beginning who is at fault, you know, who is committing these crimes. And you see the way that they interact with, um, you know, with the Osage people and how this community is you know, being devastated by what is happening and how they are processing it, how they are living in fear and all of the, you know, incredibly horrific and manipulative ways they are being preyed upon and, and harmed throughout the course of these multiple years. And then, of course, in the movie, it's not until the last third or so that the FBI actually finally <laughs> steps in and starts to do some investigating work, investigatory work. Um, so, yeah, the the focus um, but is very, very different between the movie and the book. And the book is really interesting. I would definitely recommend it. But I think what they, the, the choice they made to shift that perspective for the movie is a really good one because it does allow you to center the Osage perspective in all of that in a way that the book doesn't. And it also gives extra resonance to that epilogue where we see this radio play that I believe is, you know, a, a real radio play that was put on by the FBI to kind of publicize the work that they've done, you know, as the FBI is kind of gaining more power and more prominence. And it kind of allows you to really examine this whole, you know, our cultural fascination with true crime. We love to see mysteries. We love to watch detectives at work. And that's all fine and good. But it also does mean mean that we sometimes lose the humanity of the victims and the impact that those crimes had on an entire community. And I think the movie does a really good job of, you know, bringing that back to the center and then kind of leaving you on that lingering question of why are we so fascinated with these things? What does that reveal about us and what is lost when those are the things that are our focus? So yeah, I recommend the book, but I definitely recommend it alongside the movie because I think the dissonance between the two is really, really fascinating. Well, I don't know if you've heard this, maybe you have, maybe you haven't, but Scorsese has said in the last few months or so, particularly when the actor strike was going on and he did all of the promotion himself, he has said that they there was an original version of the script, but then once he started interacting with the Osage people, they were like, no, we need to start over and rewrite the whole thing. So I think initially the adaptation was truer to the book but then when they met the people, they were like, no, no, this story needs to revolve around them. And uh, I think they did the work in the script to to make that happen. Yeah, that's right. I had heard a little bit about that, um, which, yeah, I think was a very wise choice on their part, you know, considering that they are the ones telling the story, the, the decision, the intentional decision to center the Osage and their experiences, um, I think, made for a... I mean, obviously, a really strong movie. I think that movie is really, really good. But it also presented that story in a way that it maybe not had not been presented to the world previously mm -hmm. as that story was told. Yeah. 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 Great film. Yeah. Great film. I'm very excited to rewatch it now. Um, all right. So in terms of the other things that I've been watching, um, I watched a couple of... Christmas movies because we are recording this right before Christmas. So, just briefly, first time watching National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. First time? First time, yeah. Wow. For whatever reason, that was just not a movie that was in my family's regular rotation. Wow. I don't really know why because my, my parents do like the other 
to National Lampoon's oh, vacation Oh, this is the movies. best one. But yeah, and it's it's like it's sweeter than I expected. It mm-hmm. has more heart than I would have expected from a National Lampoon's movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um yeah it's good i enjoyed it it's i don't know that it's going to be one that i'm necessarily watching every year from now on but i'm really glad i watched it i'll definitely watch it again um yeah it's a um, it's a family favorite for my family yeah. there's like specific moments where i know like this is my dad's favorite part this is my brother's favorite part this is my like it yeah it's a family favorite i it's so i love chevy chase he's not the best person uh, mm-hmm. but I but think he's, he's, he's a really talented comedian, he's especially incredibly funny. And I do yeah. think the script to this movie is great. <laughs> just the, I think the thing that's really going to stick with me is just the house that is absolutely covered in mm. Christmas lights. And mm-hmm. when they finally manage to turn it on and it basically like, looks like a nuclear bomb went off, <laughs> just the amount of brightness flooding the neighborhood. One really of, made me laugh. one of my favorite lines in a movie ever. Like I quote this when I'm in a space where I feel like people will know what I'm talking about is because if I were to wake up tomorrow with my head sewn to the carpet, I wouldn't be more surprised than I am right now. <laughs> About it's that line. so good <laughs> it's such a randomly specific it's so great so good <laughs> oh it's so good i'm glad you watched it it's a good one yeah i'm glad i watched it too so yeah national Lampoon's christmas vacation um the other christmas movie that i watched which i is not really it's not like a classic but i've seen more and more people talking about this movie and so i was kind of curious to check it out it's called the family stone from the 2000s and I was a little bit mixed on it. I do think it's more interesting than maybe a like a trailer would have you think because it's that kind of typical like oh this you know large dysfunctional family gathers at a holiday and they all interact with each other and they have conflicts but then it's all ironed out at the end you know that's that kind of thing. I feel like there's a lot of movies like that out there big ensemble casts um this one basically the idea is that it's a large dysfunctional family gathering for christmas but the eldest son is bringing his new girlfriend sarah jessica parker and she's extremely uptight and awkward and they can't stand her she knows they can't stand i also her can't stand her i do not like sarah jessica parker at all in this movie or in general in anything i just yeah yeah i actually think she's very good in this movie but I'm also always going to relate to a character that's kind of shy and awkward in a social situation. Um, yeah, I felt like this movie had a really interesting setup where there's a lot of complexity to the way that the characters are interacting with each other. Everyone's kind of a mix of sympathetic and unsympathetic. And you can tell there's a lot of layers of history that are going into the decisions they make as they interact. But then I felt like toward the second half of the movie, it just kind of takes a more easy way out and some kind of cliched tropes start happening people start falling for each other in incredibly short periods of time and my favorite i love that yeah i love it when that happens in movies specific pet peeve of tatum's yeah so uh in particular claire dane shows up and has a romance that just was i mean i like claire dane i love claire dane's yeah she's a great actress but the the way her storyline is written is just so completely unbelievable to me so yeah and unbelievable I was, in a bad way not in a good yeah way. unbelievable in a bad way exactly <laughs> in a like i don't believe that these two people are gonna fall for each other and still be together mm-hmm. the following year so, yeah um yeah there's definitely some good moments there's some really nice well-observed human 
moments. There is a storyline involving Diane Keaton that did make me tear up a little bit. Um, Rachel McAdams is really great in it, playing just a complete petty bitch, basically. And she's wonderful. And I love her. And she's like, she would be the absolute nightmare person to spend Christmas with. Um, But yeah, so yeah, I was kind of mixed on the family stone. Anyway, um, last thing that I will mention, another first time watch for me is Fiddler on the Roof Mm. from the Mm -hmm. early 70s. I've seen that musical on stage like three or four times, just going to various community theater productions, high school productions, things like that. But I'd never actually seen the movie. And it is so good, you guys. Mm. It's so delightful. I mean, this will be no surprise to anyone who's seen this movie before because it is a musical classic, but it's so well made. All of the performances are excellent. It's also funnier than I remember. Like, I tend to think of that musical being very Is it like dark depressing? And depressing? Yeah. Yeah, but it's, it's also really, there's a, so much humor and levity to balance out the depressingness mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that I tend to forget about. And the casting is really good. You really care about all the characters, even if some of them make decisions that are not decisions I would have made. But um, uh, Topal, who plays Tevya, who like is an absolute legend of the stage and played Tevya in like something like something ridiculous, like 25,000 performances before he died. Like he just played Tevya for like 40 years straight. Wow. Um, He is great. And yeah, Fiddler on the Roof. If you if you've never seen it, I feel like, and if you're not a big fan of musicals, I feel like this is a good one where it is a musical, but it's a bit more grounded in certain ways. And you, some people might respond to it if they're not normally a musical person. Um, what's the What's the runtime? Uh, it's long. I mean, it's a it's the Broadway show. Um, more as far as I can tell, unedited. So it's about three hours. There is an intermission. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can, you know, pause it there and restart it another day if you need to. But and yeah. where did you where did you watch all three of these movies? Oh, that's a great question. National Lampoon's Vacation I watched on, I believe, Hulu. Uh, Family Stone may have been Hulu as well, actually. Uh, Fiddler on the Roof. My roommate had the DVD, so we watched it on DVD. Nice. Yeah, you found the right roommate if she yes. owns a Fiddler on the Roof DVD. <laughs> well, her parents owned it and she, she borrowed it from her parents and then we watched mm. it on my DVD player. So. Well, good judgment on her part. Yeah. Physical media, guys. I'm here for it. Represent physical media. Mm-hmm. All right. Tatum, what have you watched? So I, um, I have continued my promise of watching things that are uh, not white straight american men centered um well okay that's not well actually no this movie's french so i guess it counts so there's one movie that i watched called wing women which is on netflix and i was told that this is basically uh charlie's angels but french and gay and so i was like okay i'll try it it is like charlie's angels but french but it's not gay at all. Oh. <laughs> like, like it's it's such a tease in terms of the, the two main characters. They're very, very close and intimate and like touchy-feely with each other and all of these things. It's like, okay, but they're straight though? Like this is weird. So 
Charlie's Angels is just kind of a story that is, doesn't particularly interest me. It's yeah, I was going like, to ask what your like history with Charlie's Angels is, if any. Yeah, I think they're mostly bad movies. <laughs> You're talking opinion. about the, the two from the 2000s, I'm assuming? Yes. Yeah. And th- so this movie is also bad because it's a similar vibe. Um, so would I recommend it? No. <laughs> um, but I did watch that movie. And then I... Oh, man. Okay. Okay, I'm going to go out of order here. First, I'm going to talk about... I watched... Uh, finally, it's been on my list for years. I watched The uh, the Tale of Princess Kaguya, which is a Japanese film that is based off of an old folktale. And it, it was really... Is uh-huh. that not a is it not a Miyazaki film? No, it is a Studio Ghibli film, but it oh. is not a Miyazaki film, which is okay, super interesting. interesting. Okay. Um yeah, so I watched this movie with my mom and I, I came away from this movie being very conflicted because I mean, this is some of the absolute best animation I've ever seen in my entire life. It is the way that it is hand drawn and watercolor painted. I mean, there are sequences of people running through forests and it's it's absolutely incredible to behold. I, I highly recommend watching it just for the animation alone. Like it, it's what a feat. I've never seen animation like this. Um, and I don't know if many movies have been made with animation like this. Maybe they have. I just haven't seen them. But um, it's beautiful to look at. As far as the movie itself, I came away from it very frustrated because I felt like it really was very interesting at the end and was building up a lot of ideas. But by the end, it made no sense to me at all. I was kind of just like, what? Okay, so what point is this movie actually trying to make? Because I don't I don't understand. Like, I'm trying to put the pieces together, but it, it just it doesn't makes sense to me if I try to think about what it might be saying that just seems counterintuitive to other messages that I thought it just was not clear to me um it starts out very very cute I mean if you love little sweet stories of like little babies walking around in like beautiful forests with sunlight and butterflies and kids just being kids it's great and then it gets a lot more depressing as it goes on and just gets super cluttered and confusing to me um I will say there is a very high likelihood that the reason this that this movie did not make sense to me is because there were a lot of cultural themes that I just did not understand as an American. Um, there was just a lot of seemingly like symbolism and symbols for things that I was like, I don't, that means nothing to me. So I, I, I just, I honestly think that it just didn't make sense to me because I don't know the culture very well um but regardless that was my takeaway from the movie it's absolutely beautiful but by the time it was over it didn't I was like what I don't understand what this is trying to say what is the point um so yeah that is uh the tale the tale of princess Kaguya and then for the finale (laughs) this is a movie that also has been on my list for a long time it is a film where I don't know how I came across it. I was probably on some like nerdy film website somewhere and found this movie. I was like, oh, that seems kind of cool. But it is a Mexican film called Sueño en Otro Idioma, which is I Dream in Another Language. And I, I, I don't even know how to begin talking about this film. It, 
So it centers around, so there is this tribe that lives in a specific part of Mexico and there are only three people left in this tribe and three people left in the world that speak this specific language. I forget what the name of the language is, but only three people left in the world speak this language. And so this guy comes into their little um, town because he's a linguist and he wants to learn their language so that he can preserve it. And so he starts interacting with these three older people to learn from them. And he starts to realize, oh, there's conflict between some of these people. And there's so three of the people that still speak it, it's an an older woman and two older men. And the two older men have not spoken to each other in 50 years. And they were really good friends when they were younger. And so that's kind of the catalyst for the story of this linguist is like, in order for me to learn this language, I have to get these two people to talk to each other. But I don't know how to do that because I don't know what's wrong and I don't know what happened. And I won't go from there because I don't want to spoil anything. But it is it is an absolutely beautiful, heartbreaking story that I I just... I I don't know how to talk about it without spoiling anything, but the actual crux of what the story is, is a perspective that we don't see told very often. And it is told in such an honest, emotional, tender sort of way that makes you fall in love with humanity, but also feel the torture of what it's like to be a human being on this earth at the same time. Um, and just meditations on like death and where do we go and do we have communication with our ancestors? Are we reincarnated? Are we, it's just, it's, it's very, very, very good. I highly recommend it. Um, it's not very long. I I think it's like an hour and a half. Um, again, I, I'm here for the short movies that can tackle a lot in a short runtime, blind spotting being one of them. Uh, and this movie being another one. Uh, so yeah, highly recommend. Yeah, that sounds it's incredible. Called, Can it's I so ask, good. Um, just to clarify, maybe you said this already and I missed it, but is this a fiction film or is this a documentary? It is a fictional film. Okay. Um, yes. And so yeah, just regarding where where I watch them. So the first one that I said, I don't even remember what it's what it's called. What is it called? Wing Women. I don't even remember the title. Wing Women. <laughs> I remember Wing was in the title. <laughs> yeah. Wing Woman. Women I watched on Netflix. I Dream in Another Language. Where was that? That was on, um, I think I watched it on Voodoo. Mm. And then The Tale of Princess Kaguya was on Max. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah Highly sounds, recommend I Dream in Another Language. That sounds very, very really, good. really good. Yeah. It's very I good. It I did not. It was a movie where I went into it and I was just kind of like, I've heard really good things about this. It's in Spanish. It's a small indie film. Sounds like my cup of tea. Sounds like my jam. I'll jump in. And then beyond that, I didn't really know what to expect. And as the movie went on, I was like, wow, this is really, really good. Um, so Program yeah. it as a double feature with Arrival in terms of movies that use linguistics as a starting point for a deeply human story about uh, uh, <laughs> life and about death. And <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, 
that'd be a pretty big jump in terms of tone from one to the other. But hey, who am I to tell you what to do? If that's what you want to do, go for it. They're both great movies. So, um, although I'm still very conflicted about Arrival. I loved that movie when it first came out. I rewatched it a few weeks back. It's very good. But there's still one line that really bothers me when he's like, yeah, remember what happened to the native people? Uh, uh, a wiser and better race came in and wiped them out. I'm like, I don't, I don't like that, that phrasing of whatever, but it's fine. That's my own bone to pick. Don't remember that. Line. Oh, more I... superior race. That's what it was. He's like, Oh, you do remember what happened to the Aboriginal people. A more superior race came in and wiped them out. I'm like, Oh, okay. <laughs> That's fine. But who says that line? I don't, I don't remember that. Line. Forrest Whitaker's character. Oh, interesting. whatever his name is. Colonel something, something. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know if the movie necessarily intends for us to agree with that character saying that line. Right. But I don't remember the context in which it's said at all. Yeah, that's why it's confusing. So I'm like, in the context, yeah. maybe it's not offensive, but I don't, I just don't know. Could have been um, phrased better. Yeah. But, anyway, yeah. moving on to movies that also <laughs> talk about race, uh, <laughs> but not superior or inferior races, just the concept of race in general. Um, so today on the show, we will be discussing the 2018 film Blind Spotting, directed by Carlos Lopez Estrada and starring David Diggs and Rafael Casal. Diggs and Casal, being childhood friends from Oakland and bordering Berkeley, wrote the script together to more accurately reflect the city of Oakland, which they believed to have previously been poorly represented in film. After trying to get the film made for nine years, Blindspotting premiered at the Sundance Film Festival in January of 2018 and would go on to be more widely released, however, still limited, that summer. And I was actually unable to find what this film's budget was. I'm assuming it was pretty small because this was a first-time filmmaker um, and it's a pretty contained movie, more or less, but I don't actually know what the production budget was. Um, however, it did... War- it did um, it did earn approximately $5 million at the box office. So I genuinely wish I knew if this was like a flop or not, because I I just don't know what the budget was. Um, But anyway, so despite uh, the film's limited release and criminal lack of attention at traditional award ceremonies, blind spotting was favorably received by critics. And still to this day, this is my own, my own opinions here. This is not factual, but Still to this day, few people have seen this movie, but I hope that this little podcast episode can have even the smallest influence and motivate even just one person to watch this beautiful, innovative film about racism, gentrification, and class in the U.S. So basically, if you're listening to this podcast episode and you haven't seen this movie, for the love of God, go watch it. Go watch it. It's streaming on Max. You have no excuses. It's only an hour and a half. Yes. It is gripping it's yeah go watch and then come back otherwise we kick you out as our fans that's not true (laughs) um (laughs) (laughs) maybe this episode just kidding go and watch it um but geneva tell me your thoughts on this movie this movie is really, really good. I'm so glad that yeah. we, we watched it. I I remember when it came out, and I remember wanting to see it when it came out. I think it was a combination of, um, it was a very full year for movies. It didn't, it yes. wasn't released near me, probably, or if it was, it was only for a very short time. And then, um, I don't think it ended up getting any like major award none nominations. Yeah, nope. and so it just kind of slipped through. Um, 
my like watch list but i'm really glad i had a chance to to see it now because it um yeah it's a it's a really really well-made film it's a important film it's one that you know tackles some very heavy and, and weighty subjects for the the 21st century um it was a more the tone of it like it took me a little while to click into the the tone of it because it does especially in the first half kind of you know, oscillate between humor and, you know, these very dark, weighty subjects. Um, but I think it does it very, very well. It is also more of a musical than I expected. <laughs> this movie is basically a musical, which I think is also one of the things that helped me really click in. It was like, oh, I really like this. Um, it is fantastical. Insert. It has these fantastical sequences that are reflecting what is going on within the character's brain, which is always something that I enjoy seeing. I always love seeing abstract musical representation of what's going on in a character's brain. Uh, David Dix, Diggs is wonderful. I absolutely incredible. don't know why he's not leading more Breakout films. performance. He's incredible. Breakout. Yes. Um, yeah. So, yeah, this movie, like the... it. Like I said, it took me a little while to clink into it in the first half, but by the second half, when things are really starting to ratchet up in intensity and it's really digging into the relationship between these two characters and all the different, you know, complicating factors that go into their friendship and whether they this is even a friendship worth maintaining and the place they have in this society and David Diggs in particular as he's kind of reflecting on you know, the culture that he lives in and how he's viewed and his relationship to, um, you know, to the law, to his identity, to um, his community. Yeah, it's, it's, there's so much to unpick here. Um, so yeah, anyway, I, I really liked it. I'm, I'm very excited to talk about it and to hear your thoughts. I'm so glad that you finally watched this movie. This is this is something that I've been wanting to talk to you about ever since I first saw this movie for several reasons. But one of the reasons why I love this movie is because for me, being a person of color, someone who is half black and just because of in my adult life, the places that I've lived, most of my friendships are with white people and, um, I found this movie to tackle the concept of interracial friendships in a way that I had not previously seen. Um, there, the the scene we will absolutely talk about it, but the scene between Miles and Colin when they're talking about the word nigger is that scene is something that pops into my brain every few months because it just, it sticks with me so much, the complexity and the nuance of what is happening in that conversation, how there is love there and loyalty there, but also confusion there and disdain and judgment. And there's just so much going on. And I feel like that kind of encompasses this entire movie. This movie very much so just it tackles a lot of topics in a way that is extremely human at the heart of this movie is people it's not the heart of this movie is not a political statement it is the human experience and um yeah I 
I love this film. Um, I remember the first time I watched it, which I would just like to note, this movie came out before 2020, which I also think is probably a reason why not as many people saw it because people were not as aware of and looking for content like this, um, which is a shame that we needed something like 2020 for people to really think about that in a more prominent way. And the... (laughs) I was actually so I watched this movie with um with someone yesterday and one of the things that we were talking about is and one of the things that I was expressing is how I feel like this movie because it's dealing with the human experience it's talking about very important issues in a way that is more palatable for people who are resistant to themes like this because it's not it's not attacking cops. It's not attacking white people. It's just showing that like the world is complex. These things do happen. And what does that mean for the people that it happens to and the people that live in these neighborhoods? And so I feel like because of that, people who would be more resistant to this sort of story and this type of content, they would be like, this is a, a, easier access for them to those topics as opposed to something that is like very obviously just like hitting you over the head with whatever um oh and then last thing I'm going to say and then we can kind of dive into more of a conversation here but um the first time I watched this movie I I really liked it a lot like I said that one scene really stuck with me and like the ending scene as well and the dream sequence like there's so many things in this movie that I really, uh, that really made an impression on me. But at the same time I finished it and I was like, it did feel kind of heavy handed and a little bit on the brink of cheese, but because the themes were so potent, I was like, ah, I'll give it a pass. And watching it this time around, I didn't feel that at all. It didn't, it didn't feel heavy handed to me. It didn't feel cheesy. It, it just felt like This is people telling a story in a way that is very unique. I just think that this movie is very innovative and creative in that, like you said, it brings in rap and it has this musical aspect and it has humor and it has, um, I don't know. I just was very taken aback this time around by the filmmaking in this, you know, it seems very ambitious, um, the way it uses music and silence and split screens and color and, there's just so many ideas here and somehow they come together. Um, so yeah, I like this movie and I'm excited to talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have any thoughts on anything that I just said? I mean, I just said like a million things, but yeah, yeah, I guess just, um, I feel like the scene that keeps sticking with me that like really stuck with me after I, um, finished it was, toward the end so you know we've kind of seen miles go through this whole journey where he is you know he's a more you know he has this very short temper he's always kind of whenever he's frustrated or insecure which is most of the time (laughs) um he always takes it out on whatever's around him you know um he he has this feeling of like i'm at war with the world and it seems like part of it at least from what he says in that argument with colin is like he feels really insecure about his own identity as a white person in this very um, 
you know, this very diverse neighborhood. And, you know, there are all these kind of wealthy white hipsters who are moving into the neighborhood, and he feels this need to differentiate himself from them. And he feels kind of torn between two worlds in a, in a sense where it's like, you know, these are the people who look like me, but I, you know, culturally, I, I don't identify with them at all. And that makes him confused and angry and he lashes out. And, you know, there are some like valid feelings there. Obviously, he is like a chaotic person who does not handle his emotions in the right way. But the scene that really, really struck me is at the, you know, throughout the entire movie, we're seeing all of these things that are happening through Colin's eyes. And we're seeing this extremely traumatic encounter that he has at the beginning where he witnesses a police shooting of a black man, a police murder of a black man. And um, shot five times, I think. Yeah, four or five times, something like that. And, um, you know, he's he's basically got PTSD the entire movie and he's just processing all of these things. But he's such an internal person. And Miles, you know, he's he's a good friend. He's sympathetic. He understands that that would be horrific. But he doesn't really realize the impact that that had on Colin until the very end when they meet up with that police officer again. And Miles, you know, sorry, Colin has that whole, um, you know, there's this whole scene where he holds that officer at gunpoint and basically wraps this incredibly beautiful and moving and, you know, painful, like, you know, rap about how everything that he's feeling, how messed up his world is, how terrified and upset he is about, you know, the everything that put them all into this situation. And then when they get back into the car, just there's something on Miles's face about where he realizes like this person that I love, who I am so close to, has been holding this burden this entire time. And I just have not been able to see it until now. You know, like it's this new sense of understanding that is coming over miles as he's like it's because of the green juice (laughs) (laughs) the green juice opens (laughs) the green juice opens his mind but yeah he's like i've been so wrapped up in everything that i've you know all these insecure feelings that i've been feeling i have not realized the unbelievable burden that my friend has been under this whole time you know and i've not been noticing i've been not been caring i've not been understanding what he's been going through which is way worse than anything i've been going through so for whatever reason that scene just really really stuck with me like you know after building up the friendship between these two characters and showing the the different things that they're struggling with finally them reaching this new level of understanding in their friendship um was just really moving to me yeah so so when you say that's the scene that really stuck out to you is it is it that final rap scene in the basement or is it the truck when they're in the truck afterward the whole thing but um the image being mostly them in the truck okay the way that they speak to each other the the kind of the look on their faces as they're like what just happened how do we deal with what is this Mm -hmm. new kind of you know, place that we are in our friendship with each other. And then kind of the humor of the like, the green juice being the thing to, <laughs> you know, elevate the, break the tension a little bit and be like, okay, you know, we're going to, we're going to move forward. You know, mm-hmm. we don't know quite what this is going to look like, but we're going to, we do continue to be friends with each other in some form. Yeah. There, there's a feeling of we, we will survive this, you know, mm-hmm. because, the day prior or maybe it was two days prior I think it was the day prior though that's when they have this huge confrontation where it really is their relationship coming to a head because you have this feeling that they have this history between the two of them they've known each other since they were I think he says 12 Mm -hmm. and then 
um, Colin goes to prison for something that both of them should have gone to like I was gonna ask about this because I was really confused about why Colin went to prison and not Miles oh exactly it's because I mean I'm I'm assuming it's yeah that's probably the reason but yeah yeah that's a statement that the movie is is trying to make I think but so so we know that they have this childhood history which takes that's years and years right and then and then Colin goes to prison, which kind of gives him a new perspective on how how do I want to live my life? These are the consequences of how I behaved. The fact that I was locked up and this person wasn't like you can tell that it shaped his understanding of the world. And because of that, he's not the same person that he was before he went into prison. But Miles kind of is. And so we enter into the movie kind of seeing them at this stage in their friendship where it's like they're still kind of figuring out what what their friendship is and it's like is it the same is it not I want it to be the same but it's not and and what does this mean and then they have this confrontation at the party and afterwards and it it gives this idea that well maybe we can't continue in this friendship like maybe this is our time to to go our separate ways um but like you said that that final last sequence is a moment where there's a lot of empathy between the two of them, I think, um, and just kind of this this leveling up of friendship almost of like we've gone through this thing together and our friendship is stronger for it. And now we can move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was especially helpful because prior to that scene, I was like, yeah, Colin, you shouldn't be friends with Miles. <laughs> like, this well, guy is a disaster. Like, I think you should get yourself out while you can. But it is nice to see, like, there is something redeeming in their friendship. Miles is a lot he needs to work through. But there is something that, you know, in their history and in what they continue to provide for each other, there is something there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I see their friendship to be a beautiful thing. I I never was at a point where I thought, Oh, drop him. Like he's a bad influence. It was more so like, um, you guys probably need to talk about some stuff. And like, Miles needs to go to, well, jail, but a lot of therapy because he's clearly on some sort of downward spiral for like at least guys, part of the movie. Yeah. You guys need to have some sort of confrontation and work this out. But I, I never had a sense of you guys should end this friendship because there was, at least for me, there was this sense of love between the two of them, the sense that living in this place with the situations that they've been in together, they're still able to feel humor. And you see how Colin interacts with his family and, and his child. And there is this sense of real genuine intimacy there between the two of them. Otherwise, why would he trust him to be with his kid and, and, you know, all of these things. And so, Again, this is another one of those movies where I think I've said this a million times in the past of this podcast, but the word that keeps coming to mind is complexity. Humans are complex and it's not just like black is victim, white person is enemy or or these people shouldn't be friends or these people should be friends or whatever. There's so much going on and that's... I feel like the core of this movie is friendship. Like it it just mm-hmm. is and which is why this movie feels so human to me because it's not strictly about gun violence or racism or whatever. Like it is about that through the perspective of like this friendship between these two people, which is why 
again, you know, that scene between the two of them in that parking lot is so powerful to me because I feel like from that moment when, um, when Ziggy has, is holding the gun in their apartment all the way through till the end, it's just like upping the ante continuously and continuously. And I feel like you really get the idea of the motivations behind why these people do what they do and why they respond the way that they do. And I feel like particularly the progression of Miles' character from that point till the end is really interesting because he's obviously horrified and very regretful and justifiably feeling extremely guilty for bringing this firearm into his home without telling his partner mm-hmm. And also and leaving not it putting in a place. it in a safe place. Like, no. And leaving it loaded. Like, oh my I, like so many yeah. issues. But him being confronted with that of like, oh shit. I just like, I my actions actually have real legitimate consequences, you know? And then after that, when he, when they go to this party and we have this different sort of crowd, you know, who they call the hipsters, right? And you have this moment where where Colin is talking with this with this group of three or two other black people at this party, which I'm like, preach, I relate. You go to a party, it's like we're the only three black people here. And I'm like, Yep, I get it. It's 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 the way that it is. But I I found it to be very interesting that Colin feels this sense of camaraderie with them. And then when this guy comes back from the kitchen, he's like, hey, you'll never guess like this white boy in there. He's like pretending to be black because, you know, whatever. And how dare he do that? You know, it's it's yeah. And then Colin's like, yeah, I feel you like that's not OK for white people to do that. And then he realizes like, oh, that's actually Miles. And then they go and they have this argument in the parking lot. And Miles really expresses this this line, this 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 back and forth between the two of them where Miles is talking about like, I am a white person who grew up here. And in order for me, for people from Oakland to take me seriously as someone from Oakland, I have to act this way. I have to dress this way. Whereas you're a big black dude with braids living in Oakland. Like no one is misreading you, but people are misreading me. And Colin responds by saying, yeah, I know people aren't misreading me. And it's kind of this devastating moment of like stating exactly where this difference lies between the two of them. Like, yeah, they're not misreading me to you. That's a good thing to me. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Which is like the complexity of it. Right. Because it's like it's like Miles feels this thing of like, I wish I didn't have to act this way, but I have to in order to belong here because this is my home. And then Colin is like this is my home, but even if I leave here, people are still going to know that I'm from here and that's a problem because da, da, da. And it's just, it's, it's, it's beautiful. And then it gets into this concept of, of the N word and just like, what does it mean? And if it's such a bad thing to say, why is it okay for me to call you that? And I think it just, in my opinion, I do not like the N word. I do not use it. Um, I have family members that do, and that's, that's fine for them. Um, but I like how this movie kind of assuming black family members who, who use it, you're saying, oh, oh, in a, you know, in a acceptable context. Yeah. Thank you. Absolutely. (laughs) Just wanted to clarify. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Um, yes. Um, (laughs) (laughs) but 
I really like how they communicate this concept of like, there is also a negative connotation to this. And you, the, the line is, which is so powerful to me, like, you are the nigger that they're out here looking for. Like, they think that it's me, but it's actually you. And it just communicates the impact of what that word means in a way that I had not seen before. That very much so resonates with me. Some people don't feel the same way about that word, but that's how I feel about it. Um, this movie's complex. I mm-hmm. Yeah, it holds so many things in the balance, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just thinking about like the the sort of subtle side subplot of Colin's relationship with Ziggy, the um, mm-hmm. Miles's son, and you know just how incredibly sweet their relationship is. Mm-hmm. Where like you know he is like he's the the fun uncle who comes over and he'll play with Ziggy while um, Miles and his partner are, are having conversations or doing chores or whatever, and you know he Ziggy clearly adores him respects him looks up to him in so many ways but there is also this very um i don't know this the way that um there is that scene toward the end where colin is kind of you know you know after having watched miles like really spiral out and lose control um violently lose control I think it's the next day where he's interacting with Ziggy and Ziggy is like, he's play fighting and Colin keeps telling him stop and Ziggy won't stop. And it's Mm -hmm. this sort of like, you know, the, the, what Miles, you know, that sort of what he's inculcated. And I think Colin to some extent without meaning to that sort of, you know, violence is the only way to assert yourself, to assert your identity, to make people respect you. And Colin's like, no, 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 you need to take it down. And the instant that he tells him to, then Ziggy re- reverts to what um, his mom has been teaching him, um, which is the don't shoot, like how to how to react to a police officer. Don't shoot, don't shoot. Mm-hmm. You know, and Ziggy doesn't understand what that means exactly. But Colin mm-hmm. is just like, just seeing all of these complex things wrapped up in a child who does not realize... Mm-hmm does not yet understand what it is he's being taught or how it might be used mm-hmm. in the future. Just the like the sickness on his face in like, oh my gosh, what is it that we as a society, me, Miles, like all of us, what is it that we are teaching this child? And how does he think that he needs to interact with the world? It's just, yeah, it's it's so good. And like you say, it's so complex. It's so, mm-hmm. um, you know, there are all these different layers to it. The the beauty of their relationship, but also the way that Colin is increasingly uncomfortable with the things that Ziggy is learning and just understanding the future that Ziggy is growing up into and the things that he might have to confront someday. Yeah, it it reminds me of the things that I was told growing up, both as a person of color and also as a woman, which I'm sure you can relate to of like, you need to know that these are situations that you might face in the future and you need to know how to respond. And sometimes you need to be told those things at a very young age of like, this is the reality of the world and we wish it wasn't this way, but because it is, we need to do what we can to teach you how to handle it. And I think that having that represented in this film in that way, like I remember this time around when 
when Ziggy said, don't shoot, don't shoot me and the person I was watching it with, we both were just like, we just like, <gasps> you know, it, it just was really, really heartbreaking. And it makes me think about, um, there's a sequence earlier in the movie when, which is also a very powerful scene where, um, uh, where Miles is at home with, uh, what, what's, what's his partner's name? Ashley. Uh, when Miles is at home with Ashley and Ziggy is asleep on the couch next to them and they're watching this news report on the TV of showing, you know, this cop shot this black man who died and da, 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 da. And for the police officer, they show a picture of him in his uniform. And then for the black guy, they show him in, in a, in a, um, like a what prison do you call uniform. It? Yeah, a prison yeah. uniform, basically saying like, like not uniform, like a prison orange jumpsuit, basically. Yeah, when he was in prison. Yeah, and the and the narrative of the news report is basically, you know, police officer accidentally shoots and kills pol- uh, convicted, you know, uh, convicted criminal who blah 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 blah, and Miles is t- yelling at the TV. He's like, "Why do they have to?" show that picture of him why do they have to describe him in that way of course they're calling him an ex-con of course you know because that's just he's like of course because that's the world that we live in which I think shows this beautiful camaraderie that Miles has with kind of the black people in his community but then the camera pans over to Ziggy sleeping on the couch and it's just this very powerful statement that like you know he's just a kid but he will be a black man someday and that's that's a possibility for his future you know um I just thought that was very powerful just kind of juxtaposing the shot of Ziggy with that um that moment with Miles and and uh Ashley um I want to talk a little bit about um some of the some of the more positive things in this movie, because it is very funny, particularly in the beginning. Like I, I, I love when, <laughs> when, when Miles take call, takes Colin's mom's flat irons oh and, and is like selling them at this hair salon. He's just and then, constantly like hustling for money. It's well, he needs to get money to pay for Ziggy's education. Yeah, fancy kindergarten. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, and, I don't know. Maybe and, wait till first grade, but yeah. <laughs> and the lady's just like, "Well, how can we prove that these flat irons work?" Oh my gosh! <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> and then the amazing just cut to it's Colin so good. with his hair straightened, looking so it looks so bad. <laughs> and Ashley sticks her head out the window. And she's like, "Whoa, what happened to you? <laughs> like, not a good look." And he's yeah. like, "Yeah, I know." Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but he he just like doesn't even bother explaining it. He's like, "Whatever." <laughs> um but yeah speaking of kind of the the positive things and the humor in this I really appreciated how um one thing that I really love about movies that try in certain ways to talk about the African-American experience I really like it when they do show positive aspects of the culture as well. It's not, it's not like black people in America exist as victims who are miserable and crying all the time. Like there is a beauty to African-American culture. There is music and life and joy and laughter. And that is literally the opening of this movie. They're, they're in this 
ridiculous uber <laughs> like what, what is this and then the lighting and, in this uber alone is incredible, like incredible. <laughs> um but then they they get out of this car and you kind of see this this party of people that are just completely healthily and safely dancing to music and celebrating and and partying and having a good time in front of and the quick then, way <laughs> yes which they do not cater food they are a place that you just go to you grab it and go they're on the corner (laughs) um when actually when we were watching this movie I said I was like you know this is just one of those situations when you are so pent up and like so angry and this is the straw that breaks the camel's back (laughs) it's like Miles specifically Miles's vendetta against the reopened I know it's so funny (laughs) so good (laughs) and they're like no 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 you had a vegan burger you have to specify meat and he's like I don't need to specify meat I don't need to specify I want a beef I mean I agree with him on that but (laughs) it's it's a very Ron Swanson (laughs) 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 like what do you mean I asked for a burger I want meat like yeah. there's no other kind of burger. What are you talking, what are you talking about? about? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I yeah. just really liked how the film started out with that. And then you have little bits of that sprinkled throughout the film. And, and after that opening sequence, we do get kind of this wholesome look at Miles and Colin's friendship. They're walking down the street. It's this really long one take tracking shot of the two of them just kind of like spitballing random rhymes that are kind oh, of yes. lame. Mm-hmm. But they're just like hanging out and being buds, you know? It's so um cute. and I just think it's a really it's a really great way to start the film, I think. But yeah. Yeah. D- do you have any thoughts on the specifically on the Uber scene? Did like <laughs> did, did did you watch the trailer? Did you know that he was going to be an Uber car? Yeah, I did watch okay. the trailer right before okay, I started. Gotcha. So unfortunately, that joke was spoiled for me. I, it's such a great joke. <laughs> I loved it, although I think I'm going to love it whenever I inevitably watch this movie again, because mm-hmm. I always get stressed out when it's like, I need to be somewhere by a certain time or else something bad is going to happen. And other people are like distracting you from or preventing you from getting there. And so mm-hmm. when he's like, it's almost 11, like I need to go make my curfew. Oh. And they're just like pulling out the guns and like having a good time. I'm like, get guys, let him get his curfew. <laughs> yeah, he's got three days left. He needs yeah, to go come clean on. the bathroom. Like- <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was a great scene. Yeah. Um. So anyway, yeah. So do you have any thoughts on kind of how the topic of guns is is handled in this movie? Because we kind of see it in the beginning. It's like a, a funny joke of like, oh, yeah, I've got a bunch. I can give you whatever you want. I've got it in the glove compartment. I've got one in the trunk, like all these different things. And then gradually we start to see, you know, obviously the police officer shoots a man in the street and then guns increasingly become more and more of a threat mm. um, until at the end, you know, when Colin is literally holding a gun in front of the cop's face. And I think the last thing he says is like, I've never felt the pressure of a trigger as he holds his finger on the trigger. Mm-hmm. And the difference between me and you is I ain't no killer, you know? And I feel like guns are obviously a huge theme in this movie. So I wasn't sure if you had any thoughts on that or like the evolution of it throughout the film. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't even really think about it in this terms of like, they're first introduced as a kind of joke, but mm-hmm. then the rest of the movie really starts to make it clear this is not a joke like the the attitude that they're having towards it is until something happens to make them realize you know we've been treating this 
too lightly. Mm-hmm. For I don't know why, but throughout this movie, there were multiple things that made me really, <laughs> I promise there is a connection, that made me really think of the recent remake of West Side Story, Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. I guess the first thing being, um, in the, the, you know, there was a lot of, there were some rewriting and some additional scenes and dialogue that were added into the new West Side Story to kind of fill out some of Tony's character. And one of those things being that he has just recently gotten out of jail after nearly killing someone. And so, so much of the movie is him kind of understanding that there is that undercurrent of darkness to him and that mm-hmm. the... um the the people that he has been running with also have that darkness and that he needs to find some way to keep his head above water or else he's mm-hmm. going to be pulled down and he's going to give into it utterly which i think is part of Colin's story in you know in this film as well and one of the things that i loved about the new the the choices that they made in the new west side story is choosing to make the song cool so I was just going to say, (laughs) we needed that dance number in this week. Yeah. (laughs) Crazy boy. Yeah. So spoilers for anyone who's not seen the new West Side Story, though, you know, this is not the ending. This is like halfway through. But they they make the song cool specifically about the fact that Riff has just bought a gun and he and the other boys, they're like, they're like playing around with it. Like, oh, yeah, we're cowboys. And, you know, we're, we're tough guys. We're tough guys. Yeah. Like this doesn't really mean anything. Like, you know, they're kids. They don't they see guns on TV and think it makes them look cool to play around with them. And Tony is coming in and is like, no, 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 no. This is something really serious. Like you guys are not equipped to handle this. And he is trying to find some way to take it out of, you know, out of circulation, out of out of their hands because they're not equipped to handle it. And they just he just is not able to. And that kind of made me think of the the way this movie treats it as well where it is that kind of like the gun is the status symbol until it's not until we realize oh no this is a weapon that can kill people and in the wrong hands in the hands of a child or in the hands of a you know untrained police you know terrified police officer who you know is trigger happy because he feels threatened for some reason this is a weapon from that someone could... running and saying Don't yeah shoot. from someone literally running away <laughs> from him this is something that can bring death and if you're not like mentally able to understand that you should not be handling a gun you know you should not be using it as some sort of prop like that's that's not what it is yeah I you just reminded me of a moment in this movie that definitely hit me differently this time around because the first time I saw this movie was in 2018 and I haven't watched it since then and there was one particular line in this movie that I was like if this movie was made now they absolutely would not have used it in this way in this scenario but when we see the flashback of Colin's you know Colin and Miles honestly like their their crime that ended up getting him locked up in jail um when I don't remember if it's Miles or Colin it might be Miles but one of them has their foot on this guy's neck and he's screaming I can't breathe and I'm like oh Oh, yeah like that that hits way different watching it now (laughs) you know and the fact that it's happening to a white man and he's saying that I was like I do not think that this would be in there in this way (laughs) this movie was made now can I ask you opinion on on i mean only once we've um unless you have something else to say on the topic of of guns and how they're 
use no 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 go ahead okay can i ask your opinion on the the specific crime that um colin went to jail for and how it's presented because i feel like for me that was the one thing where i sort of struggled to understand the choice that was made just in like Mm-hmm. You know, it sure it sort of shows that there is this deep well of anger and violence within Colin himself mm-hmm. that I feel like kind of goes a little bit unexplored in the rest of the movie, especially in like the choice for it to be this like extremely unthreatening hipster guy, mm-hmm. um, you know, as opposed to like, you know someone who's actually being really like threatening and confrontational it's more this guy who's just like a drunk idiot you know um who's drinking a weird like this like horrific looking like massive cocktail what is it like i don't know yeah just like the brutality of what happens as you know compared to kind of what the guy had been doing like i feel like it really shows this sort of undercurrent in Colin that I think is really fascinating but I don't know if the rest of the film really explores it but I might just be like not really connecting things or not really understanding what the film is trying to say so yeah do you have any thoughts on on that I mean my my main thought on that is that I I have never been to prison so I can't like I can't say this with 100% accuracy at all but my thought of it was just like prison changes people like if you go to prison, I I don't know if they ever say how long he was in prison for, but if you go to prison for something as small as this, you know, there's probably some deep self-reflection that goes on during that time. So that way, when you come out, you have, you know, I think about traumatic experiences that I've been through and it causes me to rethink everything. And then a few months later, if not a year later, I have a totally different way that I see the world and, and that I live my life. So I, I don't, I mean, the the second half of the film probably could have dived into that a little bit, dove, dived, whatever, into that a little bit more. But I don't really think it needed to because I like that it was kind of focusing on who he is now and comparing that to, I feel like we see his past self through Miles and how Miles behaves. And I think mm-hmm. that that's reflected in, that fight scene that happens at the end where, you know, where obviously Miles gets very upset. He's like, you didn't do shit to help me. Like how many times have I stepped up for you and helped you in these scenarios? And why didn't you help me? And Colin's like, because it was fucking stupid. Like I'm not (laughs) like, I'm not going to step in and do that. And so, and it was basically the same sort of attack almost. Except This one was slightly more justified, but, um, I'm not saying it's okay to beat people up like that, right. but it is a little bit more justified. Yeah. But I feel like there is this, I don't know. I feel like we are, we are studying Colin's past through Miles's present. That's, yeah. that's my understanding. Okay. Yeah. That, that makes sense. That, yeah, that's, that's helpful. Yeah. Um, which speaking along those lines a little bit in terms of that scene about Colin's crime, I wanted to get your thoughts on that because I still can't, fully wrap my finger around like what is the artistic reason of why it's done this way but I found it to be very interesting that um in the telling of this crime it's like this one guy who's at this moving place who's telling this other guy (laughs) 
about this thing that happened. He's like, yeah, you'll never guess. Like, this is a crazy story. Like, this dude did that thing. And then this guy comes out and then he's on fire. Like, you know, clearly he's talking about it as if it's like this entertainment show, funny Mm -hmm. joke. And even the way that it's shot is in a way that is kind of humorous. The music is, is kind of funny. And, you know, it's like this guy who has this drink and he's falling on the ground. But then towards the very end of that description of the crime, the music goes away. The, the humor of it entirely goes, to, goes away. And we just see the two of them beating up this guy basically like in silence. You really get to feel and see the like the, the, horror, the horror of, of this yeah. attack of what's going on. And so I'm sure there's like a deeper meaning there as to why it went from like this joking place to the more serious place. But I can't. Maybe there isn't a deeper meaning and that's just what it is, but I wasn't sure if you had a specific read on the choices as to how and why that's the way that the crime was presented in the movie. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's the sort of like, you know, this is the sort of thing where if Colin had not gone to jail and this guy's not aware that Colin went to jail because of what happened, it becomes this sort of funny story and the sort of, mm-hmm. you know you know, like, we love to exaggerate, we love to kind of glamorize um, violence against people that we, you know, think are idiots, because they are idiots. Um, and, you know, it, it it's like, he thinks he's telling this, and it's making Colin look good. You know, it's making Colin look like a badass, look like, you know, the coolest person in the room. And he doesn't understand that there were actual real-world consequences to what happened. He doesn't understand that this is a real person who, you know, was an idiot but was also in the hospital for a week with horrific injuries because of what happened. He doesn't understand that Val is in the room who witnessed this, has probably been traumatized and, and is, you know, unable to look at Colin in the same way afterward. I did think it was kind of weird. Not weird, but like... I was I was a little, you know, curious about the intentional choice to kind of present it in this specific way. Like we obviously need a a method to flashback at this particular point on what it was that happened so that we can understand the way Val is interacting with him and so we can understand why, you know, Colin is so like the the regret and the guilt that Colin feels as he's kind of moving forward with his post-prison life. Um, I did think it was a little strange to kind of tell it in that way, but I think it it does make sense to a certain point of, you know, the the old Colin might have heard someone tell this story and thought, oh yeah, what a funny story, <laughs> you know, like what a what a badass that guy must have been who who beat up that guy, but the new Colin understands that that is not actually a laughing matter because there are real consequences to it, and so. The dissonance between the way that the guy is telling it and the horror of what we're actually seeing, I think, is ends up being really powerful. And then having Val there as this sort of mute observer um, who saw the actual thing and now is horrified to hear it being retold in such a, a lighthearted manner, I think it you know kind of adds to the 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 thematic um, resonance. Yeah, I mean, I was just gonna say it it it's kind of another look at the the concept of blind spotting but through the perspective of yeah. someone who mm-hmm. is completely not related to the scenario at all cuz this person on the outside sees it as this cool story 
but this person on the inside sees it a completely different way. But the guy who is telling the story, he can't see the other side of it because he he only sees what he sees. And so he can't he doesn't understand that the story that he's telling is actually incredibly traumatic and hurtful for mm-hmm. this person that he's standing in front of right now because yeah. he just doesn't he doesn't see it. I'm like, and read the room, guy. Like this guy clearly know, does not want geez. you to tell this story. But I think it adds to that idea mm-hmm. of you see what you see and you have to actively train yourself to see something different. And a lot of people don't do that because Mm -hmm. they see it the way that it is, whether that's, you know, intrinsically racist or intrinsically like you think that this is entertaining or whatever it might be. Um, But yeah, speaking of Valerie, I wanted to get your thoughts on, so we have several moments where miles makes it very clear that, you know, who visited you twice a week in prison the entire mm-hmm. time you were there? Who, like, Valerie only called you one time. And other than that, she never saw you, never whatever. And so we get kind of his perspective speaking into Colin of like, hey, she downright sucks. And I'm the one who actually cares because I'm the one who was there for you when she wasn't. And then we get this other perspective from Valerie later, who's like, he was just there because he felt guilty and he knew that he was the reason you were in prison and he also should have been there. So he just was there out of guilt. And I thought it was really interesting to have those two different perspectives and see Colin kind of wrestling with both of those of like, I really care for both of these people I wish that it could just be black and white of both of these people love me because they love me and that's it. Mm -hmm. But that's not as simple as it is. Um, So I guess that's kind of like a ramble, but I wanted to get your thoughts on Valerie just as a person and a character in this movie, because I kind of hate her, but. um, (laughs) Oh, interesting. Yeah. Like I really don't like her at all, but yeah, I I, know what you think. Yeah. I, I do like her as a character. I mean, she's sort of, you know, to an extent, especially at the beginning of the movie, hard to like as a character because we are in Colin's head and we care about Colin and we know that, you know, he is traumatized and regretful and, you know, just dealing with all of these really intense emotions and her kind of continually shut shutting him out is painful to him. And so that makes us not want to like her. But I think really helping us see what had happened, what happened, why Colin went to prison, and specifically seeing it from her perspective. Because there is like Mm. a very intentional shot of her coming out, and then we see like literally from her POV what is going on. I think it helps to, you know, it helps us to understand where she is coming from. We don't know exactly how long she had known Colin or how long they had been going out together before Mm -hmm. all of this happened. But I think to suddenly see this person who seems to be, you know, a good, you know, kind person who cares about you has the potential for this violence. I think that's extremely jarring. And I I certainly understand that it would be such a shock and um, so frightening to a certain extent that you would want to distance yourself for that person, at least for for a while. And so I think when we're we're seeing them at the beginning of the movie, it's... um, Colin is trying to show her that that is not, you know, trying to retrain her perspective. You know, that is not the only part of me that is, you know, 
it is a small part, but it's one that I am really ashamed of and one that I'm trying to control and one that, you know, is not really who I am anymore. But she finds mm-hmm. it very difficult to um, to see that. And so I think there's an element of sort of like physical, but also emotional self-protection. You know, are you someone who is going to like let loose in this way again? Or is, you know, could you hurt me? Could you... Um, blow up our life in a certain way because of losing control and yeah so I, I I understand her position of being like I want to make sure that I can trust you again I don't know if I can I don't know if I ever will be able to I do like you and I think there's a lot of chemistry between those two characters I can see why seeing him every day seeing the way that he you know is and having him in front of him you know intentionally trying to reconnect with her is kind of you know working to wear down her defenses um but that those defenses are still up so yeah i i like the character of valerie as this sort of you know very different perspective on what's going on you know she doesn't have the sort of tight-knit you know long time as, as far as i know um, knowledge of who Colin is that Miles and Ashley do. And so she is trying to figure out who he is and um, has this very conflicting information and is trying to figure out a way to navigate that and a way to figure out like who um, is he someone that I can let into my life again after the way that um, after what happened. Yeah, I I, I see what you're saying. I, I definitely hear you. I just feel like she's a little bit, I don't know. She just seems very ungenerous and kind of shaming in the way that she talks about like who he is and what he's done and, and who he rolls with and all of those things. She just seems to be very dismissive of how he actually feels. And she's just like, what's wrong with you? Get rid of miles. It's like, well, don't you see that that's not easy for him? Like this is the longest relationship he's had with this person. Like, They've been through a lot together. I don't know. She just she just seems very harsh to me in a way that just kind of rubs me the wrong way, but that's that's fine. It's yeah. not like a I mean it, it definitely seems like she if anything, she blames Miles for Colin doing what he did. That it's like it's the Miles is such a is a person for whom violence comes very easily and who has such a um a short temper. That she thinks the more he hangs around Miles, the more likely is he is to do something like that again. And so it's kind of for his own sake that she's advising him to cut Miles out of his life, start fresh, be around someone who is is not going to, you know, push him toward something like that again. Which I don't think is necessarily right advice, considering the long history behind them. But that's not necessarily something she's has the ability to take into account. It's more like, here's what's right in front of me you did this incredibly horrifically violent thing and it was largely under the influence of your your friend. Therefore, I think you should separate yourself from your friend. Like, and I don't agree with her, but I understand where she's coming from. Well, even if I did agree with her, I just still think the way that she presents it is very mean. It's very like, what is wrong with you? Like, she's just very mean about it, in my opinion. But eh, that's neither here nor there. There's more interesting things to talk about. Um, <laughs> but, okay, so there's... There's basically two more main things that I want to address. Um, 
one of them is kind of just the the concept of gentrification that we see Mm -hmm. in this movie and so I wanted to kind of approach it from I don't know his name I meant to look up his name uh he plays Newman in Seinfeld uh, oh yeah Wayne Knight, Wayne Knight. yeah yeah <laughs> apparently like, hey, his name is Nedry Patrick from Jurassic this. Park what's he doing here <laughs> yeah so I-, I wanted to get your thoughts on him because I watched the movie and I'm like I feel like the movie is trying to be kind of ironic I don't know because it's like it seems to have respect for the art that he makes in terms of like, they have these close up shots of these portraits that he's taken and they are very beautiful shots. But then I also was like, is this trying to kind of show that there are wealthier white people that are coming in feeling like, uh, like, pity for black people and feeling like they need to capture their stories and share them with the world I couldn't tell if it was like no this is a good guy or this is just another idiot off the street who's trying to like rip off our stories but then he also does like start this this beautiful moment where he you know has them stop and look at each other and he says look deep see understand (laughs) and like it's kind of a joke but it's also kind of sweet like I don't know so I just wanted to get your thoughts on that character because I can't quite put my finger on what like well what is the movie trying to say about (laughs) him I um I also was unsure the impression I got which you know I've only seen the movie once so this could be totally wrong but the impression that I got was since he's moving out when you know Miles and Colin are packing up his stuff is that he is along time resident of Oakland himself and so I think his art is coming from a place of um, you know having some sort of ownership in living here and a genuine care and concern for this community I think there is a little bit of humor satire there too where you know it's a little bit cringeworthy he's you know um, there's definitely humor to it but I think there is like you say a genuine a genuineness to what he's trying to do. And I think it kind of like, it seems to strike Colin, you know, the, the art that he sees seems to strike a chord in him where he's like, I think this guy is, he is capturing something that I, I feel is true about the way that my neighborhood is changing. And then the, you know, you have that scene where there, he makes them look into each other's eyes, which is like awkward, but also does kind of seem to bring something it's out. It's cute. Each other. I, yeah. I liked it. I liked it a lot. Um, where he's like, look at each other. And I don't know, remember if it's Miles or Colin, but they're like, we see each other every day. (laughs) (laughs) Don't make us do this. Like, like, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I really like that scene. Like, I think it's a little bit like, it is a little bit cringe, but that doesn't mean that it, there isn't something very genuine Mm -hmm. there, you know? Yeah. There, there are several moments in this movie where it's like it is kind of cringe but also mm-hmm. you know kind of like uh the, the shirt that miles is wearing oh in, yes and it's like it literally says kill a hipster save your hood and it's like okay that's pretty on the nose like it mm-hmm. we, we get it but it, it, it the fact that he works. ends up accidentally wearing it to the hipster party and all exactly. the hipsters are just like oh yeah it's a hipster shirt like yeah you yeah know, like, which it's not meant to be but. no not at all <laughs> um but yeah okay so I wanted to kind of touch a little bit on because I feel like not only does this movie 
talk about racism and police related violence or whatever it also talks about class and gentrification and things like that um and we have this whole sequence where um where miles and colin go to this home to basically pack up all of this stuff from these people who apparently died in this house right yeah yeah and they're getting rid of all of their stuff and um we get these little shots of like these photos and and I don't yeah I don't know did you have any thoughts on either that scene in particular or just the concept of gentrification that we see in this movie overall oh gosh that's such a good I'm trying to think if I have like any sort of coherent thoughts I mean I love that the whole subplot because it is such a strong theme running throughout mm-hmm. it. I'm trying to think if I have any like coherent thoughts about it's like it. so present throughout the whole thing that you mm-hmm. can't be like this is a specific moment you know yeah yeah exactly I was <laughs> such a stupid thing because I, I I did love that scene where Colin is like you know you can see him just taking in that particular house and all of these objects and things and family photographs you know um, and how tragic it is that these things have not been claimed by any sort of relative or friend and they're just they're about to be thrown out I was kind of wondering like why does this house look like it's already stripped down if all of the stuff I know is still inside it? I don't I don't know why that occurred to me it's a really stupid yeah thought. but um it looks like it's been it looks like it's been sitting there unattended for quite some time yeah yeah <laughs> for some reason like the outside of the house made me think of fight club I don't know why Oh, um, interesting. Yeah, not the inside though. But um yeah, yeah. I don't know. I really did like that um that theme. I don't know if I have any spe- specific uh, yeah. additional thoughts though. Well, there is one specific thing that I have to point out because mm. shout out to Anna. She made me promise that I would address this. But <laughs> so we were we were watching this movie together and there was one particular shot where she was like, "Oh, I like that one." And it is, I don't remember exactly where it falls in this movie. It might be at the start of this scene. I can't remember, but it's this one shot where um, it's a balance shot. And in the middle, I believe it's like a very old house. Mm -hmm. And then the two houses on the side of it are brand new. It's either that or it's the opposite. Yeah. I can't remember if it's a new one in the middle and old ones on the sides Mm -hmm. or if it's the other way around. Yeah. Um, I don't remember if that's there or if that's elsewhere. Um, I think I vaguely remember what you're talking about. I feel like it's somewhere else in the movie. I yeah. just remember that particular scene. There's this shot of the sort of, I, I don't know if it's she's a realtor or more like she's the house flipper. Oh, yeah. But coming mm-hmm. out and uh, from what, from my memory, the camera is very low to the ground and it just mm-hmm. makes it, the house look like, you know, 30 stories high and mm-hmm. she's coming out and she's just like so dismissive of everything that she's yep you know yeah she's like get rid of it yep basically (laughs) all right we're gonna make it over yep yeah yeah so yeah that that shot I forget where it falls in the movie but it was a very good visual Mm -hmm. representation of kind of how both of these things are existing in the same place but Mm -hmm. clearly one will soon be gone and Mm -hmm. these new ones will like replace it and take its spot yeah it's a beautiful beautiful and very well chosen shot absolutely um so yeah so the last thing that I kind of oh no there's two final things that I have 
on my like docket of things to talk about. One is, and we don't necessarily have to talk super in depth about this, but I found it to be, I forgot about this actually. And then I watched it this time. I was like, oh my gosh, that's really powerful. But towards the end, so there are three scenes in this movie where, um, where Colin is running in this graveyard. And the very last one, we see all of these black men who are theoretically the people that are like in these graves. Mm-hmm. All of them are standing up kind of hooded, almost like completely black silhouettes mm-hmm. and just him being surrounded by all of those people as he's kind of running from everything basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cause he hasn't confronted the police officer at this point. This is before that happens. And, um, I don't know. I, I just, I just thought that that was a really powerful shot worth mentioning of him kind of being surrounded by all of these ghosts while also being surrounded by the reality of like the life that he is living. Mm-hmm. But yeah. 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 I agree. That was a really powerful moment. I was like, I found myself almost trying to count the number of graves, mm. but there, mm-hmm. I mean, there's too many to count, you know, it's, it's too quick, but, um, and, and, you know, it's, it's this very, you know, it's not a literal representation of the graveyard as it exists because, mm-hmm. you know, it's all, they're all male. They're all about the same age. They're all dressed in modern day clothes, but it is this sort of One of, of them like, is the guy who got shot by the police right, officer and, and we and, see him like bleeding from mm-hmm, the bullet wounds. Yeah, yeah. He has, you can see the, the, the holes in his t-shirt and, you know the the blood that's soaked through um but it is this sort of like horrifyingly beautiful but horrifying evocation of like one person one grave in a in a way that like when we I think when we walk past graveyards um you know we tend to sometimes forget there are actual human beings Mm -hmm. you know each stone represent a human life that was lived and was loved and had hopes and dreams and aspirations sometimes they lived a full you know life to old age sometimes it was cut short and so it's this aspiration of what if every single grave is a person who was cut short who was murdered you know because of uh, of police violence like what what does that do to the way that you picture um you know the the stories that you see on the news yeah i think it was really well done Mm -hmm. And it's also very reflective of his reality and his perspective, because for him, he probably knows way more black men that have been killed in that sort of way than like other people. And so that is his reality. His reality Mm -hmm. is all of these people probably are black men that look just like me because that that that's just his his perspective, given, you know, what his life experience has been. And I think that. That's just a really powerful concept of like, yeah, that's just like what a graveyard is to him. That's what it means to him. Yeah. And the way that the shot is kind of, or series of shots are composed and framed, it's like death is all around him and the the way that they're all facing him, it's like they're, they're expecting him in a way, you know, it's this Mm -hmm. very haunting imagery. Mm -hmm. Speaking of haunting imagery, the last thing I want to talk about, which Maybe we won't end on this note. Maybe we'll talk about the sailboat after this. To okay. like end on a- <laughs> yeah, lighten the mood. <laughs> the way he sells that sailboat, my gosh. 
Um, but <laughs> did you understand what he said? Nope. But he gave me three hundred. They have this whole like thirty second like conversation where they're just like, I'm like, I what what are they saying? And then Colin he comes back and Colin is like, what were you saying? And my husband's like, I have no idea. But he gave me three hundred dollars, so it's fine. it made me think of oh, airplane man. when she's like, no, no, I speak jive. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> um, but. Anyway, I guess we're going to talk about that now. And now okay. we'll go into the, the now we'll go into, sad yeah. We'll find something else later to end on. Yeah. So we can't we can't go through this episode without addressing the nightmare that uh, Colin has, which is the worst nightmare of all night. Like, I... The fact that all of these things are going on around him and not only can he not speak, he's also chained to a desk, like... So basically, just to go through it real quick, so Colin has this dream where he wakes up and he's sitting at this table that's kind of, he's waiting for this judge to tell him his sentence, basically. And he looks up and Miles is his lawyer who's kind of defending him who through rapping, which is kind of cool. But Miles is wearing this all black, very dark outfit and he's almost kind of a silhouette in black with this red lighting. And then we see that all of the people in the jury it's a bunch of black men and then we're introduced to the idea that Colin cannot speak um and the the judge in front of him is first a black silhouette then we see that it is the officer who shot the um the black man in the street at the beginning of the movie and so yeah we see that Colin can't speak up for himself we see that he's chained and handcuffed to a table we then see that the jury is also handcuffed none of them can move um Colin starts throwing up bullets and then they go back into his mouth and it's just and then the cop starts hitting the desk with his like gavel or whatever and while he's doing that we have this juxtaposition of cutting back to the street where he's shooting the man and going back and forth and then Collins just he finally gets his voice back and he's just screaming stop and then he wakes up um but it is a harrowing like i don't it's just I I I don't even know what word to use to describe it, but yeah, I I don't know, <laughs> Geneva. Like what? I don't know. Is there anything specifically there that I I don't know that you want to address or something that particularly impacted you, other than um, just the whole scene overall? <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of just the the whole scene overall. Um, I think that for the throwing up bullets for some mm. reason, that's the image that really really stuck with me from all of that it's just like you know as if his his body has absorbed all of these bullets that have been shot at different um black men over the years and then all of a sudden he's just regurgitating all of them at once but then they they can't stay outside of them they they keep just coming back in yeah I don't know why that really really struck me yeah for, for me it's the I mean all of it struck me as I'm sure it did you as well but the, the moments that really stuck out to me were this idea that Colin cannot speak up for himself in a mm-hmm. way that will represent him. Like he needs his white friend who should also yeah. be going to prison with him, but mm-hmm. isn't. He needs him to speak up for him. And even this jury of people who probably would like to re- to represent him well because they are like they understand his experience. They're also handcuffed 
to the floor. Mm-hmm. And so all of them have this like horrific camaraderie of none of us have a voice here, even though like the yeah. the system of government says that we do because we're here and we have rights, mm-hmm. but do we actually? Yeah. Not Democracy really. is being circumvented. You know, the, mm-hmm. the, the judge is only supposed to sort of arbitrate the proceedings. The jury is supposed to make the decision, but those are, that's being circumvented. The jury is now the, the executioner, you know, and mm-hmm. as represented in, in the cop. And then, yeah, like his subconscious putting his white friend in that position of the lawyer, the sort of intermediary between him and and the judge um, is really, really fascinating and, and, you know, adds this really interesting layer to their relationship, to the way that he sees Miles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah, I just found that sequence to be very impactful, as I think it was supposed to be. Um, but yeah, I, my... My final thing that I want to talk about, I guess, is just getting into just the basics of the movie itself in terms of the concept of blind spotting that is introduced in this movie and obviously is the title. I think it really beautifully captures how there are so many perspectives to the same thing. You know, like there are there are people who will side with the cops every single time because they don't see the other perspective or there's people that will side with the black people every single time because they don't see. And I'm not saying that like one is right or one is wrong because this is not the time or the place for me to do that. (laughs) But um, I really like that this movie through not just the themes that it covers, but also through the friendship of Colin and Miles really shows that the world is what you make it and you see what you see and it is up to you to teach yourself to see something different and it doesn't necessarily mean throw away what you what you see but it does mean have other perspectives that you can weigh it all at the same time you know and um yeah I just think this movie does a really good job of just saying like I'm not asking you to change your mind. I'm asking you to open up your mind Mm -hmm. to the possibility of needing to change your mind. And I think that that is an extremely important message for (laughs) Americans at this moment of just like not asking you to change your mind, but open it and really engage with things in a way that you otherwise wouldn't because who knows who you might learn about or what perspective you might gain um, through doing that, you know? Mm-hmm. and I just, I love, I love that message, and I think it's very powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Can I ask one one last scene to kind of briefly talk about before we wrap up? Mm-hmm. The, you know, we talked about the, this, the confrontation with the cop at the end in mm-hmm. the context of, you know, Colin and Miles's relationship, but... I do think it's really fascinating and, and well told in the the sort of humanity of the cop in mm-hmm. terms of like, you know, I love the fact that he does not say anything throughout the entire movie until the very, very end. And throughout this whole confrontation, he is silent. And we see, um, I mean, maybe I'm reading something 
a bit too much into it, but when we first pull up to this house and the wife is is leaving, something in the tone of voice makes you kind of like, there's something not right here. You know, there is some sort of discord going on. And so it gives you this sense of like, you know, what this cop, what this guy did, you know, the hor- horror of what he did is felt by him and by his family, by his wife very deeply. And there is, I think, you know, the during that whole confrontation, there's this look on his face of, you know, absolute terror, but also I think a sense of sort of regret and understanding of like, I deserve to be here, you know? Like, I, I mean, maybe I'm reading too much into it. No, but... I, I, I see the same thing. There is this sense mm-hmm. of him being like, I understand why you are standing here holding this gun in my face, having this reaction that you have. Like I under, I understand. Um, and I think, yeah, I, I think that it's beautiful. And, and like you were saying, he doesn't speak till the very end. And literally it's just him saying, I didn't mean to. And Miles goes, are you sure? Mm-hmm. And, and the cop doesn't have any response to that. And I think that that again speaks to this, concept of blind spotting it's like your brain has automatic ways that it sees certain people or certain scenarios and you might not have meant it but your brain it's it's Mm -hmm. it's complex you know yeah you automatically want to like rewrite the story of like no of course I didn't mean it because that's horrific I I didn't mean for that to happen but it's like Mm -hmm. but it did happen so Mm -hmm. are you sure that's exactly how it it Mm -hmm. went down you know Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, I I love that kind of the the culmination of everything in that scene and and those three characters in particular being mm-hmm. there in that room at that moment. Um it's very powerful. If if, mm-hmm. if we had more time, we would go through the entire rap line by it's, line, but yeah, that would take so long. Yeah, it would. <laughs> but there's it is, it so is many a, great so oh. many great things that he's tapping into there. I mm-hmm. mean, it's so powerful. Yeah. Good grief. I, and obviously, I mean, you know, to be digs, like, you know, pulling out his Hamilton <laughs> training, like Slay. he's just so, oh, the he's way he performs till they make it. Some drop. <laughs> yeah. It's just he comes so back with more guns well and performed. And so and... the balance shifts. <laughs> oh, man. Again, like, oh, my gosh, Geneva. Mm-hmm. We have not spent enough time talking about David Diggs' performance. Like, we just kind of brushed by it in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Can we just, like, I just... Yeah, absolutely. I, what? I mean, I, what an astounding, what an astounding performance. It's like, so incredible. Yeah, this, oh, man, I love, I mean, I've said this and many times is before. And Raphael great, too. Raphael is, does a yeah. very great job. Yeah. But yeah, I've said this many times before, but I specifically love performances where the actor is portraying someone who is very reserved and closed off, but you can see everything that's going on behind their eyes. And this is mm-hmm. one of those performances. And it's it's unbelievable. Like you're just emotionally with him the entire mm-hmm. way through that scene in particular toward the end where he after he and uh, Miles have that confrontation and Colin now has the gun and he's walking home and the police car is mm, following yeah. him and he is mm-hmm. terrified. Yeah. You know, that 
you know, and he's not doing anything. He should not have be terrified, but he is for understandable reasons. And just the physicality of the way that he walks, the way he's kind of looking out the corner of his eye, like looking around, like, am I doing anything? Is what should I, you know, how should I react if something escalates? Like, it's so good and it's so powerful the way that it brings you along with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his. I love how he is very reserved and because he has experienced a lot of trauma and and you need time to sort through that shit before you actually like know how to respond to it, you know? Mm -hmm. And we only see that come to the service a few times in the movie. And when it does, I mean, his entire performance is very powerful, but those moments when it does come through, Mm -hmm. like, Ugh, like like that that moment that I was talking about before when when him and Miles have that confrontation in the alley and, and he's like that whole line towards the end when he's like and you go out and you buy a gun for what for your family like mm-hmm. you are the nigger that they're out here looking f- like the way that he delivers all of that is so I, it just it's heartbreaking and you feel the 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 conflicts like the internal conflict that he's wrestling with and and at the end, even when he's rapping at the end, he's pretty, I mean, obviously he's like breaking stuff, but he's pretty contained until the very end when he steps forward and he finally like screams and lets it out, you know, mm-hmm. it's just like start shat- shatters like a vase or something like that. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, just like this final, the theme of the vase, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> finally being able to release all of this pent up emotion, all these things that he wants to say to Miles, to the, to the cop, to like everyone around him. And he's just been, you know, stuffing down this entire time. Yeah. People who say that rap at the end is cheesy. I, I don't what? know what to say I, to you. I, I don't know what to say to you. I have no, yeah, no. Because <laughs> there it's, are, yeah, it's so good. If anyone was to call something cheesy, there are other things in the movie. I'd be like, <laughs> I could see how someone could think that was cheesy, even if like I don't the t shirt. Yeah. <laughs> but the rap, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Yeah. I, I it's but one of those like, things where it's, it's like, I can't imagine the movie ending any other mm-hmm, way. You yeah. Know? Well, it's so like, fitting. Like I said at the beginning, this movie is a musical. Like, you have to understand that in order to be able to <laughs> accept. Like the fact that they just there are multiple times throughout this film that they just start start breaking out into rap to communicate mm-hmm. with each other. And some of mm-hmm. it is kind of believable that this could be happening within the reality of the situation. But <gasps> kind of increasingly it's not. And we have these hallucinatory instances as well. And then so that at the end, by the time he's fully wrapping all of his thoughts and feelings to it, I'm like, yeah, no, that makes sense because this movie is a musical and that's what happens in a musical. Well, that also makes me remember, again, like we could go through this whole rap, but we aren't going to. There's Mm -hmm. one line in the rap where I don't I don't remember the rhymes or how it specifically works, but he does say something about like people are trained to listen to a rapping nigger like like they won't listen to another blah, 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 blah. But like they're trained to listen to me if I'm rapping. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's a lot of meta subtext there of like. Like you are rapping while you're saying that. And this is the point where you are being heard because you're actually expressing yourself. Mm -hmm. And is that because you feel like this is the only way that your thoughts will actually get through? Or is that because this is how you naturally want to let it out? Like, which one is it? Mm -hmm. Um, But that that line in that particular rap at the end where he's literally calling out and being like, you guys are only trained to listen to, you know, I don't like saying that word. So like, a, you know someone who is rapping um 
but yeah, I mean that, that rap, there's just so much, there's so much Mm. in there. Um, but yeah. Anyway, I'm so, I'm so glad that you liked this movie. I genuinely Mm. am. I've been wanting to talk to you about this for, for years. Um, because like I said, in the beginning, I really, this movie just tackles the concept of interracial friendships in a way Mm -hmm. that I haven't seen before. I mean, our dynamic is very, di- very different <laughs> from the dynamic of Miles and uh, like, Excuse Colin. me, let me take my grill out <laughs> yeah. so that we can have this conversation. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, but, but at the same time, I do think there is kind of this relatable concept for any interracial friendship of any kind of race where it's mm-hmm. like, I live in a world that you don't understand and like vice versa and how do we respect each other in that and like the differences that exist there but also like respect each other as people and like see the beauty in it and like I don't know I just think it's a really a really cool topic that is addressed in this movie without being like preachy about it Mm -hmm. you know it's like this is just two friends being friends yeah Like you said, it it really shows the beauty in those friendships, but also the complexity. And Mm -hmm. I think it does both things very well. Absolutely. Um, But yeah. Anyway, do you have any further thoughts here or? Mm, Yeah, I don't know. Just I'm really glad that you chose this. I'm glad that we got to to talk about it. That like I've I've said throughout that, you know, there are there's so many just specific scenes or images that really stuck with me and I think will continue to stick with me um I'm sure I'll watch this movie again at some point I look forward to you know catching things that I didn't necessarily catch the first time around yeah Um, I liked it I mean not that I didn't like it the first time Mm -hmm. obviously I chose it to talk about on this podcast but (laughs) I liked it a lot more the second time around Mm. yeah yeah Yeah. great movie very underrated everyone should go watch it extremely underrated like it just there's I'm not even going to get into it but yes this movie is very underrated um which along those lines this movie was nominated for absolutely nothing if you go to its IMDb page like it's nominated for like three different random festivals that no one's ever heard of um (laughs) there is is a um sorry I was just well I was just gonna say there is a tv show I know that's kind of like a spin-off or sequel Mm -hmm. to this movie Uh, Raphael is also in that Oh, is um, it? Oh, okay. Yeah. Apparently, it's not very good, though. Oh, um, dang it. But I, I don't know. I haven't seen it. Oh, but, Jasmine um, Cephas Jones is also in it. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is a very direct... Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um. But yeah, so this movie was not really accepted in uh, any sort of awards capacity. Uh, ridiculous. It's the way that it is. But... Uh, even so, it does. It is. Uh, I think I said in the beginning, it it has been received very well by critics and the people who have seen it. There aren't many that have, but the people who have seen this movie do also really like it. Um, it has a seventy six on Metacritic and is ninety four percent fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. So that's not bad. Yeah. Um, also, I'm seeing on Wikipedia that former Unis- United States President Barack Obama named Blind yep. Spotting among his favorite films of 2018. Indeed. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yep. If that doesn't convince you to watch this yes. movie, I don't know what, what will. will. Um, thank you, Barack. Uh, excuse me, President Barack, uh, President Obama. Uh, anyway, so I have four reviews that I'm going to read real quick. So 
The first one is written by Peter de Bruges from Variety, and he says, In a stroke of combined wisdom and humility, rather than pretending to have the answers, Casal and Diggs are content to pose the questions, relying on their considerable wit and comedic charm to present such tricky topics in in refreshingly engaging fashion. So that's that one. Then the second one comes from Mike Mickahill at The Guardian, and he says, The film's insidious crawl away from comedy into a sweaty walking nightmare is arresting indeed, as is, finally, its insistence that some um, elements of American life remain too serious to joke about. I like that a lot. That's Me too. That describes the experience of watching the movie really well. Totally, yes. Um, this next one is from Liam Lacey at Original Sin. It says, Blind spotting is a first film, a busy jumble of thoughts and urgent feelings. The humor is sometimes corny, the surreal fantasy strained, and the dramatization of racial, racial privilege unsubtle. Yet the level of ambition here, the commitment to try to say so much, is fresh and exciting. I don't fully agree with that review, but I do think that it shows the perspective of people who... I mean... This movie's not necessarily subtle. Like it, it is. It is. Yeah, it's pretty unsubtle. But like this review says, it's not to the film's detriment. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this last one is from Tim Grierson at Screen Daily, and he says, "As led by David Diggs' impassioned, tormented performance, Blind Spotting is hard to shake, despite its on-the-nose plot points and melodramatic flourishes." So, David Diggs mm-hmm. represent. I'm looking um. up right now who the Oscar like actor nominees were for this mm. year because mm-hmm. I'm like, could we have squeezed David Diggs in? And looking I at wonder. the list, yes, we could have. <laughs> who, who are they? Who are the nominees? Oh, boys. Three movies that I did not like. Um, performance is fine, but movies I did not like. So the winner was Rami Malek for Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah. We watched uh, that Oscars together. I remember. We did. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that was fun. Even if we were upset at the results. <laughs> but that's so also <laughs> nominated was Viggo Mortensen for Green Book. Um, right. Christian Bale for Vice. Bradley Cooper for oh, Star gosh, is Born. Oh, Vice. I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, the entire world would like to forget about Vice. <laughs> uh, Bradley Cooper for Star is Born. And then Willem Dafoe for At Eternity's Gate. Mm. I think we could have squeezed. We could have fit Diggs Diggs in there. Diggs in there. Yeah. I'm not going to say who we should kick out, but we, we, we could have fit we've, we've got a couple options. Yeah. Um, unfortunate. That's, yeah. that's saddening. Is it that, was, is that mm-hmm. all white people? Um, well, Rami, Rami Malek is, is, um, okay. Egyptian, I think. I think Don't he's quote Egyptian. Me on that. Yeah. But, yeah. He was Egyptian in the Breaking Dawn adaptation. Oh, so let me- <laughs> he was Egyptian and also like a, a air, like a waterbender or something. He was like an avatar, basically. Was he? I didn't know he was an avatar. He had some his like vampire powers. I just remember that he like showed them off by like basically bending water. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I thought you were actually talking about he was in the M Night Shyamalan oh. Avatar: The Last Bit Airbender movie. I was like, oh, um, no. I'm pretty sure Not that was my Dev knowledge. Patel. Maybe all forget that Dev Patel was in that movie. Robbie Malik might also have been in. I never saw that movie, so I could not say. Yeah. Um. Anyway, on that note, to just kind of, I don't know, say what yeah. is gonna stick with me. I mean, it's that scene, like I said before. I really just find, you know what? I'm gonna broaden that. The entire movie from the moment that Ziggy finds the gun up until the very end is just so powerful and um, 
yeah, I, I, this is a movie that I would like to rewatch again. And I think, yeah, this is just a rewatchable film. So yeah. What about you, Geneva? Um, yeah, I mean, so many moments, like I said, the, the scene at the end of them in the truck kind of having gone through these incredible emotional, this incredible emotional journey and kind of reaffirming their friendship, you know, in the wake of these things that they've um, gone through, the the confrontation that they've had with each other, the understanding that they now have about each other. I think, like you said, it, it's very it's very beautiful. It's not something a type of friendship that you see very often on screen. There is a lot of difficulty and complexity to it, but it all it there is also a lot of hope to it. Um, yeah, but that yeah, so many so many other scenes and moments in this movie that are less hopeful that I will also remember. So yeah, yeah. Well, thanks so much for watching this movie and talking about it. I'm I'm so glad we finally got to have this conversation. So. Um, yeah. Can you share with our listeners what we'll be talking about next week? Um, yeah. So, um, as we start to enter award season and we're looking ahead toward the Oscars, Tatum and I are hoping to do a few episodes on more recent releases. So current. Yes. Yes. So next week will be a recent release, uh, TBD. We're still working out exactly which one it is, but we're very excited to talk about something that's, um, current and something um, we haven't really done on this podcast other yeah, than not RRR a last year so yeah so kind of we'll have the opportunity to kind of check in on uh, our impressions of um you know this movie specifically whatever it is we end up choosing and then hopefully also just kind of the you know rec- more more impressions on recent movies and the state of the oscar race and it'll be fun but I'm, this I'm is this is i mean geneva and i always have fun but yes. this is what we really have <laughs> because we get to we like start, start to, to geek out a little bit <laughs> we make rankings we talk about mm-hmm. our favorite performances of the year all that jazz and 2023 has been a great year for movies mm-hmm. it came out of nowhere i remember at the beginning of 2023 i was like oh there aren't really any movies i want to see this year and now I'm like, I'm, I feel overwhelmed. <laughs> like, there are so many movies that we're hoping to catch up with before the end of the year. So, yeah, um, I'm also yeah. pretty positive that like at least five of my top 10 films of the year have no chance of being nominated for Best Picture. But that's fine. No, it's always so, sad when that happens. But that's it's okay. okay. Since yeah. when are the Oscars ever right? That, Parasite is the first time they've been right in the last like 50 years. <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah. not true. Return yeah. of the King was right as well. Um, should Fellowship of the Ring and Two Towers also have won? Yes, but <laughs> <laughs> but that's beside the point. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess join us for whatever the heck we talk about next week. It'll Either way, it's gonna yep. be a great time, <laughs> as it always is. So okay. Until then, bye. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at yourpickpod at gmail.com. Our theme song was composed by Joel Rushton, and our podcast graphic was designed by Kara Shin. If you like this show and want to hear more, please rate and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. We're excited to have you on this journey with us. Until next time. Thank you.